0: Good evening, it's a joy to be with you once again, and um, I'll begin by reading today's scripture lesson in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 2 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let... But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will uh, will have to bear his own load. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. So this morning we were able to spend some time together, and we were able to explore the way justice really is a matter of worship, doing justice that is. And we explored how the prophet Amos, he used the doing of justice as a litmus test to see if God's people were being transformed by their worship. And so in essence, those who have been in the presence of God, they'll be the ones who desire to do good to others because God is the source of all good. And so this evening, I want to take some time and I want to explore at least one way that we can pursue good to others through the reality of burden bearing. So what we'll do is that we've looked at Galatians chapter six, and then also I want to examine very quickly the life of William H. Bentley because he demonstrates the need for burden bearing within God's people. So as we begin to zero in on this passage in Galatians chapter 6, there's, it's no mistake that it is situated after Galatians chapter 5, with this, which is renowned for uh, listing out the fruits of the Spirit. And so burden bearing and caring for the needs of others, it's an activity that is actively energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so at first blush, it seems that Paul contradicts himself in these few short verses between uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where he instructs us to bear the, uh, one another's burdens, and then also in verse 5, where he insists that each one should uh, bear his own load. But after we look into this uh, momentarily, we see that this discrepancy is easily resolved because these are two different Greek words that are at play here. And the first one in uh, verse 5 refers to a very heavy load, one that was that's nearly impossible for someone to carry themselves for any sort of distance. And then in verse 5, the word load there, uh, it's used to refer to a ship's cargo or a soldier's knapsack or a pilgrim's pack, something that's very easy to carry along with them, something that's very manageable. So in verse five, Paul used the verb in the future tense. It says, for each will have to bear his own load to indicate that the load that every Christian must carry before uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And so while we are responsible for our own load, it's only manageable because God in Christ died and rose from the dead to bear our sin for us. And so the encouragement here is to let the Lord Jesus transform your burden into a load. So now let's look at the burden in verse 2. The text says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is the one that we'll look at and we'll look at William H. Bentley illustratively uh, for a couple of moments. And so now we, we look at these verses and so all Christians, we have burdens. Our burdens differ in size, in shape, in kind, based upon God's providential ordering of our lives and some of us, we have the burden of temptation, as we actually saw if you look to verse one uh, and, and have moral lapses that we see there in that verse. And other of us, we, we might have physical ailments, sickness or emotional distress, lack of employment, underemployment, uh, or a host of other things. But uh, Christian, no Christian is exempt from having burdens. So by default, we easily recognize burdens that we have borne ourselves or we recognize burdens that we've walked very closely with people as they've borne them. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? How the Lord Jesus can prick our hearts for those things that we've experienced ourselves and that we're, we're, we're prone to action the moment we see them. I know for myself, anytime I see somebody walking through infertility or miscarriage or stillborn or infant loss, my heart is immediately open to them because of my own story. I I hear those stories and I think of burying my precious daughter and my wife and I, we are propelled into action. But I would also say as your church grows, you'll have people with different vocational backgrounds, socioeconomic status and ethnic and cultural backgrounds. And the kinds of burdens that you will bear as a church will expand and they might be more easily missed by you if you haven't borne those burdens yourself. So, for example, as your church grows and the kinds of people expand who come here, there might be people who are in an adoption process that have unique needs. There might be immigrants working through the citizenship process that carry unique burdens. And so, uh, you know, there there might be people that say, I experienced discrimination in my neighborhood or at my workplace. And those who perhaps are immunocompromised and they bear a unique burden there. And there's people who might say, you know, my family has basically disown me because I became a Christian, because I came to faith in Christ from a different religion. But by the Spirit's help, we'll be able to better recognize the burdens that we are unfamiliar with to help others bear those burdens out of reverence for Christ, as the text says. In the spirit of uh, burden bearing, I'd like to introduce you to William H. Bentley, who's often called the father of black evangelicalism. He was looking for a place within evangelicalism where he could have his burdens borne and bear the burdens of others with those whom he shared some theological convictions. So Bentley was born in my hometown of Chicago in 1923. He attended Roosevelt University and upon graduating, he went to Pasadena, California to attend Fuller Seminary to study with Carl F.H. Henry. But unfortunately, before he got there, uh, Dr. Henry, he took up his post as editor, founding editor of Christianity Today. And by the time Bentley got there, he was no longer there. However, he still graduated from Fuller in 1959. And Bentley loved education. He had a passion for giving lectures and teaching. And so he himself lectured at a variety of colleges and seminaries. And he maintained an ongoing teaching post at Fuller Seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Wheaton College, and many others. And so when Bentley was a student at Fuller, he was introduced to the world of evangelicalism. And despite there being some racial turbulence there that he endured, he sought ministerial and theological camaraderie with a broader evangelical community. And so some, in some ways, Bentley was a misfit within evangelicalism and even in historic black churches as well. First, he was an African-American in an evangelical context. He was educated in a predominantly Anglo seminary. And he was firmly committed to missions and evangelism and engaging the, uh, the, the black consciousness movement in his neighborhood where he pastored in Chicago. But he was also deeply concerned about the health, economic and healthcare inequalities that his parishioners were facing. Bentley sought, to, uh, sought a group of Christians to fellowship with and encourage him as they did ministry throughout their lives and through the ups and downs of ministry. And so in short, Bentley was looking for a place to belong. So in 1942, the National Association of Evangelicals, often called NAE, was formed to be a biblical and Christ-centered fellowship of evangelicals that introduced believers from, or that was uh, receiving believers from uh, every ethnic background, theological persuasions. There was Calvinists there. There was Pentecostals there. There was dispensationalists everywhere in the Protestant tradition. I would actually love to have been there and hear what those conversations would have been like. The Calvinists and the Pentecostal talking theology, that's fantastic. So among them, there were African-Americans like Bentley who sought fellowship and encouragement in ministry So during the NAE's early years, there was a growing consistence uh, that that there was burdens that the minority constituents and members were bearing that were not being considered or talked about as they planned addresses and roundtable discussions. And there was issues that were being addressed, papers being written. Uh, It became clear that rather than than, than there being some sort of um, charity that was given to them that was a, um, I should say this. Rather than being them thinking that like, okay this is a oversight, it happened over and over, and those members begin to think well maybe they just don't care about us, maybe that it's not uh, our our issues are not worthy of them talking about, and so renowned African American evangelical James Earl Massey he recalled the gathering of the World Congress on Evangelicals in Berlin in 1966, and the theme there was one race one gospel. One task And for 10 days, there was papers read, there was addresses given, and the theme of one race, uh, throughout the whole time, it was never engaged. And so there was concern brought to the chairman, who was Carl F.H. Henry himself, and he apologized at the omission that he said, "You know, this theme just wasn't on the minds of the committee." And I, I'm very aware of Dr. Carl F.H. Henry's legacy in his life. And the best I can tell is that he didn't intentionally exclude these concerns from the meetings and things like that. It was simply an oversight. And he was broken over this. And so if someone of African-American descent or African descent was on the planning committee, it'd be highly unlikely that the one race portion of the conference would be overlooked because there was such a powerful reality going on in apartheid South Africa and the racial inequalities going on in America. And so within the NAE, there was black leaders, they continued to request that these burdens be borne by their brothers and sisters. Can, we, can you guys help us with this? Can we talk about this? Can we sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron? And so the burden bearing in ministry that Bentley wanted, he just wasn't receiving there. He was pastoring at the time at Calvary Bible Church in Chicago, where he ministered for 20 years. He was pastoring during some very difficult times that he was looking for brothers and sisters who were Christ-centered and theologically aligned to help him with. He was pastoring during the Civil Rights Movement and its aftermath. He engaged the various manifestations of the Black Conscious Movement and one being, being the Black Power Movement He ministered through the rise of the nation of Islam in his city, in the early years of the Hebrew Israelites, in the economic inequality felt throughout Chicago. He was looking for somebody to bear his burden. At the beginning of his ministry, he was desperate for this Orthodox, Christ-centered fellowship where they can sharpen each other, but over time, the indifference and lack of compassion within the NAE caused these evangelical African Americans to have to switch to a different place to find their burdens born. So there was an exodus and they developed the National Negro Evangelical Association, later called the National Black Evangelical Association in 1963. And so these members, they sought fellowship and encouragement in, in their, in their uh, ministry context where they can really talk about the issues that they hoped to talk about with their larger uh, body of brothers and sisters in the NAE. And there's such a awesome heritage of faithfulness amongst the National Black Evangelical Association. So hopefully that'll just whet your whistle to go out and find more about William H. Bentley and others. But there's a lesson in this history there's a lesson for us in this history that we see here. There's a difficult truth that God's people had to grapple with, that in order to be uh, dignified and to seriously explore how to minister in their neighborhoods, the NAE divided along the lines of ethnicity. And this is not the first time this has happened in the uh, church. In 1787, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones, they marched out of St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia after being uh, commanded to move from uh, the, the floor to the balcony. And they were confronted during prayer and they said, we'll go upstairs, but after prayer. And then one person, they went and got another usher and they commanded them to move during prayer and they said, we will move, but after prayer. That the the other ushers came and forced them to move during prayer so they didn't move to the balcony. They moved out of the church along with all the other African-Americans who were in attendance and they had to start a new denomination to be able to worship in dignity. And so the exodus that that they had was one where they can worship God and have camaraderie and training and how to minister into their neighborhoods. However, this breaks the heart of God to have God's people have to separate to be able to uh, be prepared for ministry, to be able to talk about the issues that they're facing in their communities. This is better done together. It's, it's better that we're sharpened for the sake of the kingdom in the same places. And we're not living up to Jesus's prayer in John 17 where, they, where he asked that, that we would be one. And so the question is, is Second Presbyterian Church a church where the burden of all of God's children can be borne? Within evangelicalism, uh, much like with Bentley, uh, minority culture Christians are accepted insofar as their biblical or theological questions match that of the dominant culture. Or their their faith expression matches the trappings of the dominant culture as well. Or the gospel is applied to a list of normal topics that are uh, consistent with what goes on in churches. And the question is, is this true of us today? Burden-bearing is directly tied to belonging. And people like Bentley, they just wanted to find a place to belong among those who were also purchased with the blood of Christ. And so what I would like to do is explore burden-bearing on three different levels. The first level is individual burden-bearing. Have you often, or How often do you put yourselves in the position of others? How often do you, uh, listen to people as they are working through the challenges of their life how often do you invite people who are different from you in your home sit at your table and just fellowship on christ you laugh together you cry together you talk about what's going on in life how often have you incarnated yourself in the homes of others who are different than you So as we listen, it's imperative to listen with a heart of compassion and love in these interactions. And this is how we begin to bear burdens as individuals. And now as a church culture, as a church, it's it's important for us to think about what constitutes belonging at any individual given church. So we often look to a variety of superficial means to bring people together. And we even do this among those who claim Christ. And so we try to find all kinds of common ground, uh, even though we have Christ who's in the center. And so I remember once I was talking to some believers who are from very different backgrounds. And I was doing all kinds of gymnastics to try to find the common ground between myself and my brother and my sister. But the reality was that we were overlooking the main thing that actually made us family, and that's Jesus Christ. And so is it necessary for people to belong to have Jesus plus something else? What is that plus? Jesus plus what to belong potentially in a specific church? If there's anything else that we add to Jesus, it lops people off from being able to belong to the very people of God. And so I think we have to ask that question has the body of believers added anything to the gospel and for, for what it means to belong in a particular church? And so this is an opportunity for a local church to raise a sincere question of, have we added something to the gospel that's a stumbling block for somebody else? And then lastly, strategizing for burden bearing. And this is a, uh, a church-wide, a church-level uh, sort of idea and it's primarily for your leaders. However, this also does affect you. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's important that we ask the questions, what, whose needs is the church strategizing to meet? Are, are, are our resources and our time and our energy uh, just trying to meet the needs of the people in the pews? Or is it trying to meet the needs of the larger community? And this is a question that I at least put before all of you because uh, the resources that you faithfully steward giving to the Lord in this church are going to be, by God's grace, yes, going to support you in your uh, maturation in Christ, but also they are going to go into your broader community and to the ends of the earth as your church is trying to bear the burden of brokenness around you. And praise be to God for that. And may more and more of our resources be given to uh, us bearing the burdens of our community around us. I look forward to, to one day hearing of the stories of faithfulness ongoing from Second Presbyterian Church. I've already heard them, but I look forward to hearing more of them to see how the individuals in this church are continuing to bear the burdens of others, even the burdens that you have not lived through yourself. Hearing how this gathered body, this people have not added anything to Jesus to belong to this family. But then also hearing how there's all kinds of strategy being done among you to reach and fix and to mend the brokenness of the area and the community around you. So as we close, let's let's revisit Galatians chapter six for a moment. And it reads this way once again, bear one another's burdens And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So there are burdens that God's people will bear. And our our burdens take on a variety of shapes and sizes. But my prayer is, is that people can walk through these doors back here and no matter what their burden is, that they have a brother or sister here. If they've gone through that same thing or not, that will put their arm around them and just tell them how much the Lord Jesus cares about them. Tell them how, how you love them, listen to them, allow them to cry over your shoulder over things that you've never experienced in your life. And this, even this, is a sign to the world around us that there is a Christ that is unifying a people around himself. And because of that, there's something different going on within the people of God than anything that's going to go on out there. So praise be to God for all that he's already done and all that he'll continue to do through this church as you bear the burdens of others. Let's pray. Our Father, I do thank you for the Spirit's work in us. For those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. And Father, we're grateful that you are able to uh, guide us and help us to love others, to be one with those who uh, you are one with. And so I pray that you would allow us to continue to learn how to bear burdens. Yes, the ones that we've experienced ourselves, but also the ones we have not experienced. And God, I pray that we would be attuned to your spirit's guidance on how to do that. I pray that we would uh, seek out folks that we might not know, to seek out folks and to, to love and to pray for, that the world says we might not belong together, but we know that in Christ, we certainly do. And we'll spend eternity together because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. And because of that, we're grateful. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for these moments of reflection. Uh, bless the, the hearing of the word of God. We pray all this in your name. Amen.